This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. People, churches, preachers, church leaders are now seemingly more frequently taking away the authority of Scripture. They, they question it. They question its inerrancy. They question its infallibility. Some of the churches today that are teaching this false doctrine, you can go into, and even with Scripture in hand to dispute the false doctrine, to, to show them God's Word, and they'll look at you and say, well, that's not what my preacher tells me. Or, that's not what my Bible says. Or even, you know, that's not what I feel. We're going to be dealing with this problem for the foreseeable future. It's not going away anytime soon. They, they cut out whole passages of Scripture, whole chapters. They, they leave out books. And they try to make God's Word their own. But the problem is that it's not their Word. It's God's Word that they're deciding to play with. And for that reason, today we're going to be discussing the authority. Oop. Oh, it's affecting the wrong thing. There we go. <laughs> the uh, authority, inerrancy, and infallibility of Scripture. Authority is defined as the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. God is the ultimate authority, not just in the church, in the world, in the universe. Romans 9, 19 to 21 says, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. The context of this passage is he's talking about how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But what this shows is not just within the story of Moses and Pharaoh and the exodus of Israel from Egypt, is that God shows that God is the ultimate authority in all things. He is the author. He is the creator. And his authority doesn't end there. He is, everybody who rules, everybody that is a leader that has authority in different countries, kings, presidents, they have that authority because God lets them have that authority. Romans 13, 1 through 2. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists will bring judgment on themselves. Those who rule do so because God authorized them to do so. If they misuse the power given to them by God, that is on them, just like any sin that we commit is on us. But nonetheless, the authority that they have in the position of power that they have is given to them by 
God. That also can be said about, about the household. You know, God calls for the husband to be the leader in the household. In Ephesians 5, 22-24, says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. The authority given to the husband in the household is given to him because God has granted him that authority. And this actually goes on to my next point as well. Christ is the head of the church. God is our authority in the church. It brings it back completely full circle. God is our authority. Christ is our authority. He's the ultimate authority. And how does he speak to us? How does the, the creator of all things, our, our one and true only authority, how does he communicate to us? You're going to see this scripture pop up time and time again in this series because it is so crucial, so important for us to, to get this in our head. Honestly, just memorize it. It's such a great one to memorize. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is our authority because it is God's word. And Nowadays, we see rejection of authority all the time. People are rejecting the authority of government. People are rejecting the workplace authority. People are rejecting the, the family, the household authority in the way that's set up. Whether it be um, between a husband or a wife, whether it be from kids rejecting the authority of their parents. The rejection of authority is a huge issue in the world today. And it has bled into the church. And it is seeping in like a festering wound of people questioning the authority of God. Not just in the world, but in all the churches today. A lot of churches today. The authority of Scripture is primarily contested in one way. And that is... People question its reliability. That's the one way that Scripture overall is contested. Mostly this is done historically and scientifically. People for years, for just an example of a, a historical rejection of the reliability of Scripture, for years people used to think King David didn't exist. Other than the Bible, there wasn't proof of King David's existence for hundreds of years. People were starting to think that, uh, historians were thinking that he was a literary fabrication, similar to legends like Gilgamesh or the Mahabharata in Indian lore, uh, that he was an ancient legend of stories. Many disputed this until 1994. The year 1994, a tablet was found in Galilee. And on this tablet was inscribed the house of David. And they dated this back to what would have been the time of David, proving without a doubt 
that David was in fact a king, and he did in fact rule. Proof beyond a, a shadow of a doubt. Another great example is Hittites. The Hittites, for years, people didn't think that the, the Hittites existed. They thought it was a, a fictional military that was made up, that was designed similarly to how like we, we create fake armies nowadays for, for films, for movies, for stories. And they thought, you know, if the Hittites aren't real, then the Bible can't be reliable. How could it be reliable if the Hittites aren't real? They're mentioned over 40 times in the Old Testament. And if they're mentioned 40 times in the Old Testament, the Bible is not historically accurate and therefore will be discredited. Well, in 1906, a man by the name of Hugo Winkler was excavating in Bogazkoy, Turkey, and found the capital of the ancient Hittite Empire. And there was a library containing 10,000 clay tablets that would later be translated and proved that all the historical records about the Hittites mentioned in the Bible were in fact true. Everything mentioned in the Bible about the Hittites, was proven to be fact. Now, I can go on and on and on. There is so much information here. And honestly, I, I highly suggest going home, researching historical accounts and how, how they proved using archaeology uh, the historical accuracy of the Bible. You will not find anywhere where they have, uh, have been able to prove inaccuracy in Scripture. Not only that, but honestly, scientifically speaking, the Bible has been found to be accurate. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Bible is a science book. It is a historical record in nature. But the Bible has been proven to be scientifically accurate. For example, let's take the earth. For thousands of years, the earth was believed to be anything but what it was. So many different cultures had so many different beliefs. Some cultures believe it to be on the back of a turtle or something because they couldn't grasp the idea that the, the, the earth was floating in space. Not only that, but a lot of them just assumed that the earth was flat. It wasn't until around 500 BC that a man by the name of Pythagoras decided that, you know, I think the earth might be a sphere. This was in, in uh, Greek. Pythagoras is also the same mathematician that created the Pythagorean theorem, so all of you that hate uh, math, you can help blame this guy. Uh, later on, a man by the name of Aristothenes, who is probably most likely not famous because it's hard to pronounce his name. But he used mathematics, shadows, and time in order to determine the circumference of the earth. He was off by maybe a few meters, not kilometers, a few meters. That's how accurate his mathematics were. Columbus did not prove the earth was round. They were selling globes 
around like you know 300 AD there are paintings depictions of like street vendors in Rome selling globes so really all Columbus proved was that there was land over there they actually assumed that there was no land and it was just open water and that it would be too far of a voyage so that's why they stuck to the land that way they could constantly go into port somewhere as they traveled around but I, I digress I'm getting off topic here uh, Isaiah somehow knew all of this information even before then and Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22 says it is he who sits above the circle of the earth its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in Isaiah knew that the earth was round God let Isaiah know that the earth was round in 700 to around 710 BC, 200 years before Pythagoras even thought that the earth could be round. Uh, another example is Job. Job in chapter 26, verses 7 through 10. says, he stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. He covers the face of his throne and spreads his cloud over it. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters and the boundary of light and darkness. So Job knew around roughly 500 BC that not only was the earth round, it was suspended on nothing. So scientifically and historically, the Bible has been proven time and time again that it is accurate. But many still, many still are trying to challenge the Bible. And the way they do this primarily is by challenging its inerrancy and its infallibility. Inerrancy means to be without error. Infallibility, in terms of theology, would be defined as defined scripture as reliable and trustworthy. In terms of the study of the Bible, these are normally synonyms but they, there are distinctions between the two when it comes to studying the Bible and studying Scripture. Well, we see a lot of this, people trying to question its inerrancy and infallibility outside of the church. In recent years, people have been questioning the inerrancy of the Bible. Questioning its inerrancy has bled into churches all over the country while attempting somehow attempting to maintain its infallibility, which does not make sense. It is contradictory to say that the Bible is infallible and not inerrant. It cannot be a reliable and trustworthy source if it contains errors. But that's what people are trying to do because they want to keep teaching from it, but they don't want to always want to agree with it. That's the problem. Well, how does the Bible view itself? That's the real question. How does the Bible view itself? Again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration of God comes from the Latin, theopnotus. Theo, meaning God. Neopnotus meaning breathed. 
Uh, theo is also used a lot of time when you're talking about theology or theologians. Theo means God. Ology means study of. Paul, in this passage, is affirming that all, his, all writings that fall into place as Scripture are from God, being God-breathed. And Peter even calls Paul's writings Scripture, and a lot of this is kind of reviewed from the last lesson, but still, 2 Peter 3, 15-16, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking on them of these things, in which are some things hard to, under, uh, hard to be understood, which they that unlearned in unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Other scriptures referring to Old Testament, other implying that the epistles are also scripture, and again, in the context of this passage being the second coming of Christ, the Gospels would also fall into that category. So all Scripture is therefore God-breathed. The New Testament is also Scripture, as we can see here. Then therefore, the New Testament as well as the Bible as a whole is God-breathed and therefore must maintain its inerrancy. It must maintain its infallibility. In terms of this topic and the, the compromising of the Bible's authority that you're seeing a lot today, I saw this quote by a man named J.J. Packer, who is a Christian uh, theologian. And he said, To assert biblical inerrancy and infallibility is just to confess faith in the divine origin of the Bible, and the truthfulness and trustworthiness of God. The value of these terms is that they can serve the principles of biblical authority. For statements that are not absolutely true and reliable could not be absolutely authoritative. If, the bio, if it is, if it is uh, containing error, if it is fallible, it cannot be authoritative. In order for the Bible to be absolutely authoritative, it must maintain inerrancy and infallibility. But Scripture shows that, in fact, it is inerrant. It is infallible because, again, it is God-breathed. The challenges that we are facing today, currently, some of the biggest challenges our people are deciding to reject Paul's writings, or at least parts of Paul's writings, right? Many of Paul's teachings when it comes to women, when it comes to homosexuality in Scripture, have been brought into question. They're saying that he was influenced. He was, he was influenced by his cultural surroundings. This idea not only brings into question the infallibility of Scripture, but it brings into question the authority of Scripture. It's a dangerous thought to have, because if any of Paul's writings, if any of his writings contain error or are found fallible, then wouldn't they all 
contain error? Wouldn't they all be considered fallible? You wouldn't be able to trust any of them if you can't trust part of them. What about uh, Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is this up for grabs? If we're going to start saying that some of Paul's writings are not accurate, they contain error, they were influenced by his cultural surroundings, well, then is this void? How about, how about Titus 3.5? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Is that, is that void? Is that up for grabs? Well, how about we, we mentioned 2 Peter 3.15-16. He called Paul's writing scripture. Is then Peter wrong? And if Peter's wrong, is, is all his work? What, what part of the New Testament is, is inerrant? You see, if we're going to take away part of it, what, what do we keep? All Scripture, all Scripture is authoritative because it is God's Word. The prophets, the apostles, some even called, in spite of their indifference, in spite of their hostility towards God, such as Jeremiah, such as Paul, show that God's Word, His truth, became theirs by a divine inspiration. Paul, being the devout Jew that he was, you know, if he was following, if he was following his uh, cultural surroundings, if Paul was following uh, the way he, he grew up, because he grew up very strict, uh, in a very strict sect of Judaism, his workings, his, his, his works would have, been a lot stricter. His and, and they would have been a lot more harmful to the faith as a whole. His background does not discredit him. If anything, it gives credit to the words he has written as not of him, but of God. All of it is authority. We don't get to pick and choose when it comes to the authority of the Bible. We don't get to choose what part of His Word to listen to and what not to listen to. It all has authority, it all has inerrancy, and it all has infallibility. Going forward in this series, uh, I want to kind of slow down today with this, because it's important for us to set this foundation and, and to get these, these ideas, these thoughts in your head as we go forward of authority, inerrancy, and infallibility. It's important for you to keep those in your mind because they're going to play a huge role. When it comes to um, defending the Bible, when it comes to defending the Bible as God's holy word, it all breaks down to authority, inerrancy, and infallibility. Every time.
So I felt it was important this morning to slow down and give everybody a firm grasp of these subjects before continuing on. I hope this information has been useful and that it helps you in your further studies as well going forward. Because it's so important for us to be able to defend God's Word. And it's important for you to go home, do studies on your own, and look some of this stuff up. It's very interesting stuff. Um, we didn't talk about the first principles or anything like that today, but if anybody needs any help from the church, any um, whether it be, you know, coming to Christ or you're having issues or any, any issues that you may be dealing with, uh, you can feel forward to uh, feel comfortable to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.